This is the one with a pixelated leprechaun. A lady of some refinement, as sharp as a trout. A blackguard and a filthy bounder. Two hags and a tremendously large rodent. And a homunculus with the brain of a pig that almost caused World War VI. It's called The Talons of Wen Chiang. Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Talent Boot, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? Ta-da! We are back! Hello, podcast land, and welcome to another wonderful, splendorific, magnificent episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Pass. Correctamundo. That lovely voice belongs to none other than Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello, Leon. Hello, podcast land. I am Jim. And my voice belongs to me. I'm Leon. Hello, Jim. Hello, me. Hello, Leon. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, Jim. You've been on an adventure. I've been on holiday, yes. Correct. (laughs) I just saw some holiday snaps, podcast land. It was an adventure. And we've spent some time away from Classic Who. How does it feel to be back? Awesome. Someone kept the seat nice and warm for me. It was good. Yeah, that was me. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And we are back for a, I don't think it is in any way hyperbolic to say this is a legendary serial. And it might surprise you to, to learn, one of the most beloved serials of Classic Who. Oh, really? Yes. That actually does surprise me. <laughs> I know it does, because <laughs> all the preamble before pressing record leads me to believe that you were not fond of this story. I, I'm yet to make my mind up on this story. Interesting. I, I think. Okay. Um, <laughs> we need to discuss it, definitely. Well, what's better way to start us off than by summarising it? With a little bite-sized chunk of who, what do you say? What better way indeed? Mm, Let's. (laughs) (laughs) Time for us to synopsize, lurbify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview, this free-for-all. We like to call a a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The fourth Doctor brings his companion Leela to Victorian London to give her a taste of who her human ancestors once were. It's foggy in the almost perpetual night of London town, and they wish to blend in, so Doc dons his finest Holmesian get-up, while his ex-warrior accomplice for once sheds her leather thong in favour of a less revealing, more contemporary outfit herself. Women have been going missing in London, however, and at least one of them was a volunteer participant in the performance of one stage magician, Li Zheng Chang. Soon our protagonists are embroiled in a mystery, involving a maniacal ventriloquist dummy, a time cabinet, a giant rat, two of the very best co-companions ever, and lots and lots of not-so-casual racism. <laughs> Be scout over, over, you are welcome. welcome. Aren't you just? <laughs> wow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, where do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> Do we dive straight in? Shall we address the racist elephant in the room? <laughs> Is that what you're getting at? Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't it. know what I was expecting. My immediate thought was, oh my god, this is so much worse than I could have imagined. Oh, really? But eventually it did kind of settle down and it's, it is just Lee Seng Chang being played by a white guy. That, it, I mean, not just. No, but there are little bits that pop up here and there. 
that's the big condensed version of the racism. Certainly, yeah. The fact that they are in Victorian London and obviously the people of the times, they, they I mean, in this serial, they kind of address the, the racism of that time. They have people refer to Lee Sen Chang as the celestial Chang, and, and it, it, Chang himself, on a couple of occasions, makes a almost satirical comment about that racism in saying like, oh, well, uh, one of us is yellow. You know, that yeah. you know, little, little hints here and there. But the fact that it's him... And the fact that we have the doctor saying a few terrible things as well completely undercuts that satire. I say, do you, do you think it is a bad attempt at satire in general? <laughs> Maybe satire is the wrong word. Okay, yeah. it, it, social criticism. Yeah, it undercuts that. I mostly just got. I think. I think I mostly forgot that it was set in Victorian London a lot of time, and the dialogue I was hearing was someone writing in 1975. I see, <laughs> <laughs> because. There's a white guy dressed up as a Chinese man. (laughs) That is the case. But I made a few notes of stuff that the doctor himself says. He's told by Lightfoot, times are tough when ruffians will attack you in your own home. And he goes, well, they were Chinese ruffians. Yes. Like, okay, that's interesting. He also won't, and I don't think he's alone in this, let up on the stereotype that they're small as well and identifying them as little men. I think he... He has a line saying, we were attacked by this little man and four other little men. Yeah. And I mean, I'm laughing, but I'm laughing because that side of this story is absolutely absurd. The, the racism of it. Yeah. And it's completely unexpected. It's so left field. The doctor who's been, I mean, he should be completely, you know, colorblind. He's, you know, neutral to that. He doesn't view yeah. the world through that lens. Yet here... He almost takes the side of the very judgmental white society. Yeah, definitely. I kind of got a feeling throughout this as well that it didn't feel like the Doctor a lot of the time. Maybe, oh, really? maybe that's part of it. Oh, it felt to me like the Doctor. That part of it did not, obviously. Mm. The racism did not. I think there are, there are some scenes, definitely, where he's on top form. And you definitely know this was Doctor Who, I think, for the most part. Okay. But yeah, maybe it's just those little little bits that kind of popped up like this is a six-part serial there's a lot of stuff in this tons tons is happening are you familiar with fu manchu the name i don't know anything about See, that's that's basically where it ends for me as well that's as far as it goes but looking through trivia there are a few i mean there are tons of very obvious parallels to other things going on in fiction and you know i mean other trends the most obvious one being sherlock holmes he dresses as Sherlock Holmes. He goes elementary, my dear Lightfoot, and you know all, the, all yeah. those things. But apparently, and I say apparently because I have no experience of Fu Manchu myself, but apparently Wang Chiang or possibly Li Sen Chang are a pastiche of this Fu Manchu character. Oh, okay. Who, at least at the time, was part of the you know, public consciousness. So maybe part of the bad guy here is uh, a leader of the Tongs. He is this uh, mystic Chinese antagonist. Maybe that's actually just a pastiche of that. Just like uh, like uh, the Doctor's behavior is very much just a pastiche of Sherlock Holmes. It's possible. And that, in a way, I'm not trying to excuse it, but maybe that contextualizes it a little bit. Yeah, he's still got a white guy dressed as yeah. Chinese man. Not the first time, though. 
I mean, it's not the first time. Okay, so here's here's something else that really bothered me. I was bothered on behalf of the actual non-white members of the cast who had yeah. to stand next to this man and just act. I think actually that was one of the biggest surprises is that there were members of this cast, and I'm trying to be very careful with my words because we're talking about racism. I don't want to come across as racist, but Go for it. who look like they have East Asian heritage. Yeah. Certainly. And some of them get spoken lines and they deliver it in that kind of broken English way that uh, Lee Seng Chang is is speaking throughout most of it as well. But you can't help but think, you found all these actors. (laughs) Why couldn't you find one more? Yeah, why couldn't you you just cast, or or like have one fewer henchmen and cast one of them as this character? Or maybe tone down the racism in general. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know what you mean. But it's also not the first time we've also had it in the old black and white serials, the Hartnell serials. We had lots of lots of dudes in, in blackface. Oh, really? Yeah. And in I want to say in uh, the Crusade, we had some white dude in blackface next to black actors. And it's the exact same situation. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure we had this conversation when we reviewed the Crusade as well. Just like, well, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> It's it's just a really weird. It feels like a like, it feels like a step back in a way. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just very hard to get your head. Like we just talked about the adventures of space and time, the yeah docudrama, and we were relishing in well, it, certainly from my point of view, and it's like surprise that you know we had the first Indian director. Yeah, we had the the first female producer. Like, Correct. When Doctor Who first started in 1963, like yeah. it seems like this very open minded thing. Yeah. Yet we get the end product where we're constantly... Obviously, we're from from the future looking back. It's always going to be a problem. But, you know, we're constantly going, what the fuck were you thinking then? Like, we're now... I I have to correct myself. It's not 75. We're now 77. 77! Yeah. Like, we're progressing quite a lot further forward than even, you know, it started in 1963. And it was trying to be progressive. Yeah. You would assume with that kind of open thinking. But again, I think they're doing a take on a different story that contains all of these elements. And I'm not denying that it it is just incredibly insensitive. But I don't feel like this is a... This isn't like, oh, wow, holy shit, I have to hate this because it's racist. No, I think you always have to put this into a little pocket and go, well, it was 1977. Yeah. There was a different view of the world. There was... Of course. There was everyday racism and... Yeah. There weren't enough voices. Which, by the way, we also got to see in Adventure in Space and Time. Yeah. Then the very romanticized view of that showed everyone overcoming that racism. Most likely it wasn't like that. Yeah. I'm still quite a big fan of Forty Towers. Yeah. Manuel. Um, Like, Manuel (laughs) is a horrendous stereotype. Yeah. The, I forget, is it Brigadier? What, General? Or the... Whatever the guy is that stays in the yeah, hotel. Yeah, I know. Like, Colonel? No, I can't remember now. He's talking about like West Indians with horrible racial, racial slurs. Oh, really? Does he? Like the whole thing with Basil about the, the war, you know, is everyone's like the whole episode about oh, not Germans. trusting Germans. Yeah. And, and, you know, <laughs> this is the same time frame, I'm sure. It's, that's that's late 70s. That's true. You know, th- this was just what was happening in, in Britain and in the British media, unfortunately. Yeah. So I think, you know, we can look past it and go, okay, what's the story like? What What's the production like? Is it is it entertaining? But we had to talk about it, didn't we? We did. And I'm <laughs> glad that we started off on such a light topic. <laughs> I think there's, there's another thing actually backing up your kind of idea of it being more pastiche. Yeah. 
is it is just laden with stereotypes in general. Oh, yes, everyone. Everyone. Like including Jago and Lightfoot. Yeah, I mean, they're just they're parodies of, of And then Casey, like, I don't even know if that guy that Wait, actor's Irish. Casey? Um Oh, the the kind of stagehand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy. The fact totem. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one of my notes halfway through episode 1 was like, no stereotype left unturned. Here's an old crone with no teeth. <laughs> I loved that crone. Don't you dare speak ill of her. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> she was wonderful. <laughs> and then later on, we get the the kind of Cockney wench character who's... Oh, wait. No, that's the one I love. Wait, hang on. I'm, I'm thinking of the uh, the older lady who spots the body floating yeah, in the Thames. Yeah, that's, that's the old crone. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. But then, then we get the, the lady that gets taken by Chang. Oh, and who's popped in a closet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like she's, you she's know what? She's great as well. Her. Yeah, she was good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in general, it saddens me a little bit that there are racist elements to this story because I'll tell you right away, I fucking loved this really? story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was incredible. And I understand why it is widely regarded as, uh, I mean, a lot of people's favorite Doctor Who serial. It's not going to be my favorite one. I think okay, it's wh- close to it. Where I am with it at the moment, yeah. which is why I'm a little uncertain and why uh-huh. some discussion could throw me one way or another. Okay. Oh, okay. Challenge <laughs> accepted. <laughs> is I just, I don't really get all the pieces and why they're there. I have lots of questions for you, and I'm hoping that in not being able to answer those questions at all, just like I am not able to answer those questions at all, we will collectively reach the conclusion that there are lots of loose ends in the story. <laughs> so, okay, random one just popping into my brain. Are we doing like a quid pro quo? No, that's a bad exp- ex- expression in these times. Are we doing a ping pong of questions? Is that it? We, we could try that. I don't okay. know. I, I just, oh, you start. You start. This is just one of the things that became a bigger question in my head as things went on yeah chang mentioned at one point later on that he was basically a peasant when the pretend god found him so yes here we go did pretend god and chang decide that chang being a magician was a brilliant front to their scheme (laughs) of taking women from london or like the implication was that he hadn't been doing that before yeah you're right i don't i hadn't considered that (laughs) That's a mighty good point. <laughs> oh, good question. Let's hide in plain sight. <laughs> Do you think Mr. Sin, the, the character of Mr. Sin, with the face that he has, which looks sort of almost wooden, like it looks like a, a puppet's face, and I yeah. don't think he's wearing a mask, as in like, I don't think Mr. Sin actually looks completely different. I think that's his face. Do you think Wang Chiang a- arrives on Earth with Mr. Sin goes, all right, he looks around, he goes, what can I use? What's the alibi that will allow me to walk around with this guy, with Mr. Sin? And he just figures, stage show, that's the only thing, that's the only way I can I can make this work. Maybe. Because Mr. Sin also comes from the future. I feel like Mr. Sin could have stayed in the background as like a silent assassin there. Didn't have to put him up front, but literally parade him around. Yeah, that's true. As a ventriloquist. Actually carrying him around. Yeah. <laughs> I've got trivia about Mr. Sin, by the way. Oh, Okay. Do, do you know who played Mr. Sin? I do not. Mr. Sin was played by Deep Roy. Uh, I apologize if I mispronounced that name. Deep Roy also played the Oompa Loompas in the Johnny Depp version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh. That's him. What? And according to him, in on IMDb Trivia, Johnny Depp kept telling him how this was his favorite Doctor Who serial. <laughs> <laughs> like, that Johnny Depp film wasn't that long ago. No. He was quite, I know. quite old then, was he? Or is he really young now? He might be very young. 
Yeah. Anyway, no, I, so I maybe, recognize him. Yeah. Yeah, that's the guy. So, so maybe, maybe that's the only reason he goes for a um, a magic trick front. Dude, that's an easy question. That was that was super easy. Are you gonna are you gonna break my faith in this serial by asking me that question? No, I I don't buy it. Okay, I have another question for you, which is okay. related to the same subject. Were Chang's abilities on stage? actually quote-unquote magical as in like had Wang Chiang granted Chang the ability to levitate women for example or was his stage show f- just a bunch of trickery like did he have props I assumed it was a bunch of trickery okay the, the only real ability we see and I feel like this he thing. had other abilities. If he could levitate people, we would have seen it crop up more often. He does. He is able to hypnotize people. Yeah, it's the only thing we see is hypnotizing. But he doesn't hypnotize the crowd. No. Why maybe, wouldn't he do well, that? He could just hypnotize them into thinking this is the best show ever. Maybe because he has to do the flashy eyes, and the flashy eyes is an effect you can't reproduce, and everyone will be going, what the fuck is that? But he could just do that on the whole audience. Uh, he could, in fact, why does he do a show? Yeah, just, why be a celebrity? <laughs> like, don't draw attention to yourself. <laughs> but he could, he could just walk out on stage, hypnotize himself. So you're going to sit here for half an hour, and then, then you're going to go home and think you had the most amazing night. Exactly. I'm just going to go up for a pint now, okay? <laughs> With my buddy, Mr. Sin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. All right. Cool. Your turn. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you impersonate a god. Yes. That's apparently is half known as the Black Scorpion or has something to do with scorpions. Something like definitely. that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. As apparently the god of abundance. I don't know. Lots of things were thrown out. Yeah. Of what Wen Chiang actually represented. That's right. But you set up home in the dragon Sewer. house. Oh right! Oh yeah. Well, I don't, did they did they just escape to a random place, or was this a separate layer? No, you're right. There are two layers, and one is like in the sewers beneath the theater for no yeah. reason because that's where the lab is, and the other is in a giant temple with a massive golden statue that is ma- not a scorpion. It's not a scorpion. You're right. There are no scorpions around. Like, dude, do your homework when you come to invade a planet. Yeah, this is. I well, mean, not, not <laughs> you don't want to dilute your branding. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you've got a scorpion brand. Plus, scorpions are cool, man. Stick with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. What is that second lair? What is that temple place? Yeah, I think it's referred to as the house of the dragon. Right. Okay. Well, dragons are also cool animals and maybe the... You know what? I don't have an answer for you because <laughs> I'm not... I'm not that well versed in Chinese mythology. Oh, I see. Bucking it out so we don't yeah. accidentally... No, play a racist card. No, no, it's like I literally don't know. But I also suspect that the BBC had no idea and didn't give a shit about research. (laughs) (laughs) They just went, I mean, dragons are Chinese, right? We're going to do that. We're going to go dragons. That dragon is awesome, though. It's that statue. Yeah, and it's like holding a golden ball. I mean, the whole thing is made out of gold. Yeah. They're minted. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, question two. Why does Wang Chang require young, supple women specifically? <laughs> Easier to rip their DNA apart, I guess. Really? <laughs> no. Because he has a lot of people just at his disposal whom no one will miss because they could just voluntarily go to him or he could hypnotize them or whatever. He can hypnotize an alibi into being and he could just, instead of having henchmen who attack and kidnap women, he could just drain the henchmen of their life essence. Just have willing, sacrificial people. Yes, exactly. So why do they have to be young women? They are willing to die for him as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, (laughs) semi-willing. I mean, one of them eats the scorpion poison. Yeah. Two of them 
Two of them eat the scorpion poison. Oh, two one, of them do. Yeah, you're right. One does it when he's just handed it. He's like, yes, I'm going to eat this. One of them is kind of force-fed it, but... Yeah, that's true. Well... They, they know what they're getting into. They yeah, know exactly. if, if they fail or if they're captured, they're going to take the scorpion poison. Yeah. Why not be absorbed into your god? Exactly. Yeah. Fair point. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Your turn. <laughs> Time cabinet. Could we not have thought of a fucking better name than Time Cabinet? So there's trivia behind that as well. Oh, okay. The character of Wang Chiang in at least early drafts was originally the master. And the this Time Cabinet... This is what I started wondering. Is it, is it mentioned a Time Cabinet? I thought, oh, Exactly. Yeah. So he's the master. He's referred to as the, uh, the Lord. Yeah. Lord and master. Uh, he talks about his regeneration. Like oh, I missed that. They didn't write that out of the script. So oh, he well. still refers to his regeneration. But at some point, Hinchcliffe and Holmes... By the way, this is their very last job. After this, Hinchcliffe and Holmes, out of there. Uh, So it's the end of an era. And I think it's Hinchcliffe, memory serves, just went, no, but we've very recently had bad guy turns out to be the master. We can't do that so soon again. No, no. Think of a new one. And then they just made him a new, different person. Is this kind of why the main guy's name is said once? Very near the end of this whole serial. Oh, yeah. What's his name? Greel. Yeah. Magnus Magnus Greel. Magnus Greel. (laughs) Maybe. Like, th- throughout my note-taking, I was like, I know this guy isn't Wen Chiang. They've, <laughs> they've already established, like, he's a false god. Yeah. And obviously he's not going to be a god, but know, it could have been, like, an alien. Yeah, it could have been. That was confused for a god or, or something. We've had plenty of those. But I was like, how do the I... Egyptian re- chap. Not yeah. Egyptian chap. The yeah, fake Egyptian chap. Exactly who I was thinking of. Yeah. Pyramids of Mars. Exactly. Yeah. And I was I was like, how do I refer to this guy? He's not been given a proper name. <laughs> he's, he's basically not Wen Chiang. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Through how everything until episode six episode six is where we learn his name yeah and his backstory yeah and he comes from the what is, is it the 51st century i believe so yeah he's the same a, as buck rogers no oh maybe <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a war criminal from the 51st century i can't remember the backstory of mr sin but he's some sort of medical experiment gone horribly wrong yeah like they've put the brain of a pig inside this, was, this poor individual has driven him homicidal and crazy i think I think, actually... He's very intelligent for a pig, by the way. I want to point this out. Well, I'm not sure if I'll find it in my note, but the way I answered it, it was a mechanical... Like, it was a robot. Some kind of oh, automaton. Oh, was he? And then the thinking slash kind of life aspect of it was a pig brain. Right, okay. So it was meant to be used more as a computational thing, like using the brain as part of the machine. Okay, but he went But then mad. the pig brain took over a bit more and, yeah, went a bit he oinks. He does... Yeah, but that only happens late in the yeah. That's true in the show as well. I I feel like holy shit. Do you know what I just realised? What's that? In New Who, we have the master with the little pig astronaut. Yeah, right. No, not, with the not with pig astronaut. Wait, there is a pig astronaut. There is a pig astronaut, but that's, that's the rest of the Falaborians. What about the dude? No, that's the Daleks who who pigify people, including what's his name, Andrew Garfield, Daleks in Manhattan. Oh yeah. They get turned into pigs. Is there no other master pig thing? Am I mixing those things up? Maybe I am. I can't think of a thing with the master. I'm mixing it up. Anyway, we've had pig bipeds crossovers yeah. later on. Backpedaling a little bit, does that then uh, answer your quandary regarding the time cabinet? I guess yes and no. It's it's only not a shit name if it's with the master. Like, 
That's that's such a weird weird setup actually. They've made it so that the master can have a shitty named thing like that and it'd be cool. Yeah. Anyone else? <laughs> it's a shitty name. It's super naff, yeah. Oh, pass me my time cabinet, please. <laughs> <laughs> Where did I put my time cabinet? Did you understand or do you think anyone really understands without having to go to some website to read the backstory of it? What the Sigma experiments were, why he got sent back in time but separated from his cabinets, etc., etc. Why is there a key? I didn't really get how he wasn't with the cabinet. Yeah. And the cabinet, according to Lightfoot, I mean, the cabinet is a, be- a it belongs to Lightfoot. Yeah. And he says it's been in his it. family for generations. Like his grandmother was gifted it by someone, something along those lines. So does that mean that uh, Greel has been on Earth for at least two generations of humans? It must do, I suppose. And why is the outside of the time cabinet painted, decorated to look, well, Chinese. Fuck no. I love it. (laughs) Do you think there are like 10 scripts that just got mushed into one? I don't think so. No? I think this is one kick-ass script. And I think, so somewhere on TARDIS Wikia, or yeah, probably TARDIS Wikia, it said that because this was Hinchcliffe and Holmes' farewell serial, and they did have a six-episode arc to play with, just like at the end of any season here, Yeah, they went freaking all out like they just threw money at this production which is why we get tons of different sets and we get you know lots of props and there there are action set pieces there's a lot happening here that we don't normally get and when we do get it it's just poorly green screened against a matte painting yeah but here it's actually there like they're on location and they've built sets and they've done all these cool things yeah i i reckon they just went no write one incredible thing and i'm sure it went through drafts but yeah just looking on wikipedia actually it says the the story outline was from the foe from the future which is oh yeah robert bank stewart's original story right well at least it inspired elements from it okay so yeah i think you're probably right that it it was one big beast of a thing the only thing that I am now noticing, so I'm, I'm going, I'll bake in a little shout out. I'm, I'm going through the episodes of fellow Doctor Who podcast, New to Who. It's great, by the way. Thank you, every member of New to Who for making such an awesome podcast. But because of this, I am now very aware of when they are trying to pad out. It's like in the first or second, like, yeah, first or second episode of New to Who, they talk about how they're like, they were padding out episodes of Doctor Who, and you can tell occasionally when they're just like walking back and forth between different <laughs> rooms, or they keep asking the same question over and over again. And I really noticed that here. I definitely question why this was a six-parter. Yeah, it doesn't have to be, right? Which? It like it ends thrice. At l- well, it at least ends twice. How so? There's one ending when um, uh, Lee Sen Chang gets vanquished and he ends up walking into the sewers. Oh, yeah. He's going to get eaten by the giant rat, which we need to talk about. <laughs> and we have Wang Chiang, a.k.a. Magnus Greel, in a carriage, just like speeding off into the horizon, laughing maniacally. Oh, God, that laughter. This is great laughter. <laughs> ending. That's that's an ending. Like, that could have been, uh, all right, well, they beat the bad guy-ish. They, be- they beat the main henchman anyway, uh, Lee Sin Chang. And the other person survives to be a repeat bad guy at some future point in Doctor Who. Yeah. But then we return, and we have a... A sec, like we have at least two, yeah, we have two more episodes at that point, and that's just to build up 
the second crescendo where they beat Magnus Creel. I was bloody gobsmacked at how late in the kind of the final third actually kicks off. Like it's pretty much just the last episode where you it flips over and it's Magnus Greel and we're getting his backstory and you're okay. right. You're right. The the henchman who has been at the forefront of everything. But has, I love that. Has though. gone by this point. But I love that. And I love that he then changes his mind. He comes around and he sort of the the mesmerism of Wang Chiang has worn off at this point. He only has one leg. He's <laughs> been like half eaten by a giant rat. Again, we have to talk about this giant rat. <laughs> uh, and he's getting freaking stoned off his tits on opium. <laughs> he's not in pain, though. <laughs> yeah, he is incredibly just zonked out. And he is redeemed in a way. Morally, he is redeemed. Practically, I I absolutely like... not, because he murdered a lot of yeah. people. But, like, morally, he, like, you know, okay, maybe redeemed is the wrong word, but he repents. He certainly repents, right? I don't know. I feel like it was just like, I'm not carrying on. It wasn't like he was really sorry for the stuff he had done, was he? I well, feel like it was just... Does he you know, say that he regrets You know it? what? This guy actually is a bit shit because he did make that giant hamster <laughs> and it did eat my leg. <laughs> I might just not do what he wants me to do anymore. Do you think so? Okay, hang on. I have another question for you. Related question. When he walked into the sewers, do you think he was trying to escape? I, well... I found that scene a bit odd, actually, because the doctor throws the line that, that he's just said back at him, which is like meeting his ancestors. Yeah. Oh, right. As, yes. as if Chang walks into the sewer knowing that he's going to get eaten by the rat. That's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. I thought he was he was basically committing suicide. He's but jumping then, into the lion's den, so to speak. But then he goes into the sewer. Yeah. And you hear the, the giant rat off in the distance and he's freaked out. Yeah. Like, yeah, but you would know. be too, it's... even if you willingly jump into the lion's den, when the lion actually shows itself, you would go, oh, oh fuck, that is but a if big I, cat. Either they didn't give the right direction to the actor at this point. Yeah, or I know what you mean. Or it's meant to be just open to a bit of interpretation. But I, I feel like there would be something, there should be, should have been something in the portrayal where, yes, you're scared, but you've gone in here intending to get eaten by a giant rat. Yeah. <laughs> like... There's there's a moment of kind of bracing yourself. Yeah. Even though you're scared. Like surely. Yeah, he like he doesn't Or you would be running away. Like or yeah, you're right. I don't know. Like you would you'd have, I know have exactly, a revelation. I know exactly the look on his face that you're you're thinking yeah. of. It's he he isn't just sort of leaning into it. He isn't closing his eyes and thinking, yeah. Oh, please let this be quick or anything like that. And he's not even defiantly standing up to this rat. Like, hey, come on, get me, get me. Yeah. There's nothing like that. He's just like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, it generally yeah. kind of seemed like, oh fuck, yeah, that giant rat. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> and then because he survives well, yeah. It did it, it threw it all like it felt like what a terrible was, way by the way oh to go God. yeah so like, this rat eats his leg and then drags him to its larder he wakes up among all the remains of of other humans that yeah. the rat has been eating and hoarding and then probably drags his way to the nearest opium den through by the way he's sure shanking his way through miles <laughs> of shit yeah and then he gets to this place and he Gets zonked off his face. And then dies. And then dies. Wait, hang on. Before he dies, he touches the doctor's shoe. Why? <laughs> I, 
I didn't get that. I did that I ever did, come back round? I don't think it did. I don't know. I, I, I wanted to ask you because I figured that must be some really clever thing and I just didn't understand it. I don't know. There's too much going on. Like I, <laughs> I couldn't write notes about this sort of half the time. It was just like, what? What? Okay. He said, said something about Earth? No. They thought he said something about Earth. <laughs> what did he say? I don't know. I assumed that whatever he did, or whatever he was trying to communicate through the, the, through the means of pointing at the doctor's shoe was an indication of where to find the dragon's temple, the house of the dragon. Quite possibly. How, well, else, how else did they get there? They must get there because he gives them directions. And it, reaching down and touching the doctor's foot is tantamount to dropping a pin on your Google map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay, I've got a related question. Giant rat question mark? <laughs> <laughs> Why is there a giant rat? It was an experiment. Why was he experimenting and making giant rats? And why is there only one of them? Like, again, there's a lot of dialogue in this thing. One line. Because I... He's I basically, abundance. I basically injected in my head, like, what the possible thing could be. And my plausible thing for it is that this guy wants to absorb matter, effectively. Yeah. So why not experiment with the idea of creating uh, more matter... Holy moly. From a small okay. thing for me to absorb. Like, there are shitloads of rats around. Like, he could be absorbing a rat. That's super clever. And also, why doesn't he? Yeah, but there's, there's no mention of it Wait, being what's like the this. meat that he feeds the rat? Oh, fuck no. Where did that come from? I don't know. <laughs> Wait, seriously? Like, he doesn't go to a butcher. At one point, he's got a cleaver and he's chopping up meat to give to the yeah. rat. Okay, I... Is it cert- if for certain there is only one? Oh, maybe there are lots of I them. I don't know. I thought there was just one, but I maybe get, there are multiple. You get that feeling that there's only one. I guess because it's so big. I love your explanation of it. I don't think that's correct, though. I don't think that's the case. It's just they don't try and explain it. That's It's just really frustrating. It's like, oh, I was experimenting. <laughs> This is a massive part of this cereal. <laughs> no, you can't just do that. <laughs> okay, so I have two theories. Okay. Theory one is because he is purporting to be Wang Chiang and Wang Chiang is the god of abundance, he needs to prove that he is Wang Chiang, and perhaps he does so by creating an excessively proportioned rodent to go, look, could someone who isn't a god of abundance do this? No, exactly. I'm <laughs> Wang Chiang. Could I just go for it? I feel like it might be a picky point. <laughs> But in my head, abundance of something <laughs> means lots of is them. Lots of them. Yeah, yes. yeah. Like, <laughs> but that's not how it's presented here. The doctor goes, "I just remembered he's the god of abundance," and ipso facto, the, the rodent is big. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so that's theory one, and theory two is he's like that dude in Snatch who has the wild pigs that oh, he. I've not seen Snatch. Have you not seen Snatch? So the, the in Snatch, there's a character. This isn't. This is by no means a spoiler. I'm sure this is in the trailer. There's a dude who has lots of wild pigs and he keeps them and he starves them for a while so that they'll get super hungry so that when he needs to dispose of a body, he just throws a body in there and they just eat it, all of it. And maybe the big rodent is exactly that. And that would explain the chunk of meat because maybe part of one of the supple young women didn't get turned to dust and there's just meat and then he's cutting it up and feeding it to the rat. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. I feel like, A, they do turn to dust. Yeah, and B, yeah. the rat's pretty shit at disposing stuff because there's apparently a pile of <laughs> body parts. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> That's true. I would like to see the other failed experiments where he's like, listen, I love women. I particularly love supple young women, but I also have the technology to make stuff big and I need to absorb as much supple young woman energy as possible. I'm going to make a gigantic supple young woman. <laughs> 
And that's just like, the, the, in one of the cutscenes, they're walking through the, the sewers beneath London, which, by the way, would be gross. And they come upon one discarded tunnel, which is just an enormous woman is in there. I mean, like... <laughs> 15 meters tall. <laughs> Just going, I'm stuck. What the <laughs> fuck am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Those are my theories. Yeah, I don't know if they're any better than my theory. Yeah, then, oh, wait, you know what? There are, there's a minimum of two rats. You're right, because the doctor blows the brains out of one of them with his elephant gun. Oh, is that before? It Chang must be before. Gets attacked. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. Chang getting attacked is the last time we get to see the rat, which also means there is still at least one giant rat at large. Uh, one of many things that the doctor just leaves behind in Victorian London for, like, the Torchwood Institute to then pick up and, and label. Very true. <laughs> So the giant rats, they casually leave behind a Janus thorn after Leela just murders a dude. Yeah. <laughs> the whole lab downstairs. I'd say the lab is there. Yeah. The, the machine. The statue got shot. Yeah, the but, laser statue. But I feel like there's probably still some tech there. Yeah. The the cabinet is still there, is it? Yeah, it's only the key that's that's broken. Yeah, what is it with the Doctor having very quick exits these days? Uh, I feel like... They always do, though. But he's really careless in terms of leaving stuff behind. Can we talk Jago and Lightfoot? Of course. Take it away. Where do you stand? They're they're two men. (laughs) 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 I super love Lightfoot. Okay. Where do you stand on Jago? I don't know about Jago. Okay. I think as characters that play off each other and, and the other characters. Yeah. They were, they were both really fun to watch. Oh, so fun. I think Jago was just slightly over the top in uh, a way I didn't quite stomach all the time. Yeah, okay. Uh, whereas Lightfoot, like, we've established already, all these characters are stereotypes and caricatures. Yeah, and like, but, but he could do no wrong yeah. as that character. I, I loved everything that came out of his mouth. I mean, uh, not the racist stuff. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I love the way that he comported himself and... and yeah. He was a problem solver. He was a doctor. I mean, he's a surgeon. Yeah. And a gentleman. He was. There's lots of weird interplays of him... Eating with Leela. Talking about society and Leela not kind of understanding. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, he's... For some reason, he takes Leela under his wing. And and when he sees her eating like a total savage, he kind of relishes the opportunity to do so himself. I super love that she just grabbed a chunk of meat. Yeah. Like to be fair, I'm not quite sure how you would have eaten that chunk of meat. Like, yeah, <laughs> that, that needs some like proper carving shit. That well, like, she, she did get a knife. Like, would you like a, a, a knife? <laughs> yes, yeah, there's a good knife. <laughs> yeah, because he, I think, frequently talks about his servants or like his housemaid and all this kind of stuff, and you n- never see them, do you? I don't think so. No, but there's the implication that like someone has left out the food for him. I don't know if it was his. His housemaid or the, the the owner of the house, maybe? He, rents, it, he has a... So the, he does mention, this is another Sherlock Holmes reference, he talks about his housekeeper, Mrs. Hudson. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I miss my name. Uh. Yeah, there's just like one casual reference to it. This couldn't be more Sherlock Holmes. I've just looked him up on uh, TARDIS Wikia, by the way, and so I, I should say, and this is probably a reference to that, those two characters, Jago and Lightfoot, the BBC f- for a while contemplated creating a whole spin-off TV show for those two characters. Oh, wow. Didn't, in the end. But then Big Finish did in audio format. No way. Yeah, and there's a... I haven't heard a single one of them, but I'm super tempted to now. But there's a series of, of audio adventures with these two characters. Jago and Lightford, <laughs> Brian Busters of Victorian London. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and the same actors reprised their roles. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, but looking at George Lightfoot, he is listed on Todd's Wiki as having his, as his main alias being John Watson. No way. Apparently so. I mean, at a certain point, it just gets to be a little bit too much, I think. But, but still. He was in that Adam Adamant Lives as well. Yes. Yes, that's right. Christopher Benjamin, meanwhile, the chap who played Jago, we have encountered him on Who Back When Before. He was Keith Gold in Inferno. Uh, I looked this up because I remembered having found screenshots of him as Jago and popping them on the website going, oh yeah, so we're going to encounter this this actor later on. Okay. Uh, And yeah, so he was in Inferno and then later in New Who, we also encountered him in The Unicorn and the Wasp. Oh. He's the general or whatever who sits in in a. Does he sit in a wheelchair? He pretends to be wheelchair bound, and he that makes like bell, yeah. he makes references to like whacking off. <laughs> I can't remember what it is. There's something very vulgar about it. Oh, and we've also encountered him in in audio who format. He was Claudio Tardelli in uh, Grand Theft Cosmos, <laughs> wow. which is a really good one. Set in Stockholm. Mm, nice. Uh, while I'm at it, Chang, played by John Bennett. Yeah, English guy from he, Kent. <laughs> He was in The Fifth Element. He's the priest in the opening scene. Trying to think what the opening scene is. So in the beginning, there's a priest uh, alongside uh, like an, a, an, elderly, an elderly man. There's this the priest, and he's there with an assistant who's Luke Perry of Beverly Hills fame. Beverly Hills 90210. Oh. And it's just as the Mondachi ones are coming in, you know, the big aliens. This is in like 1920s yes, exactly. Egypt or something. He's the priest. Yeah, I can see it now, actually. Yeah. He was also in a previous serial. Oh, was he? Oh, I missed that. Who was he? Invasion of the Dinosaurs. He was <gasps> apparently General Finch. Oh, I can totally see it. We had this conversation when we discussed uh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs. I remember this now. Oh, you know what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm going to listen to our review of Invasion of the Dinosaurs. As should you, Podcast Land. can't quite remember the character of Finch. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> He's, I can see him in front of me. Hang on, I'll find him. I'll find him. Okay, yes. I see that picture and, yeah. <laughs> and recognize it as an actor who made a poor career choice a bit later. <laughs> While we're on Doctor Who Connections, I only have one more. And that is Michael Spice, who played Wang Chiang. Or what's his face? Magnus Greel. Yeah. He also was, uh, uh, provided the voice of Morbius. As in the brain of Morbius. Yeah, he was the voice of Morbius. Ah. You know what? I seem to remember thinking his voice acting was very good then. And he's basically doing the same thing here. That's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) I liked him, actually. That laughter. That's fantastic. I was so glad it was like at the end of a serial, so we got to hear it at the start of the next one. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'm pretty sure he howls like a wolf. He does. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Why? Why does that happen? He's just an insane bastard having fun. (laughs) I'm just going to howl at the moon. An insane bastard having fun. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> How do you feel about Leela in this one? I think I actually quite like what they were trying to do with her through most of this. Okay. So we've mentioned the interplays with her and Lightfoot. And yeah, I I think I generally liked all those scenes. And it was sometimes it's a bit forced that they having to kind of try and remember, well, try and remind us that like she's come from this caveman-like society. Yeah. But I think, for the, I think for the most part, they kind of fit in naturally and it's like establishing her character and she's growing to understand more about different things. And she is being shown as a very able-bodied 
super person. Yes. Like she comes to the docks rescue on multiple occasions. On multiple occasions, I think he does. She does her own thing as well. I mean, he tells her stay put, and she goes. I mean, no, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to save the day. Thank you very Straight much. Away jumps onto the coach. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's does. It seems to be the repeating pattern of companions in this will never stay put but she actually goes full on jean-claude van damme yeah she she ups it in the action stakes unfortunately the payoff is the same yeah that's true she gets captured <laughs> yeah no that is true which is exactly what happened to sarah jane before it's like but when she gets captured the at least the first time is it the first time when it, whenever when she stuffs the cockney lady in the yeah, and that was it. She deliberately like gets herself captured in order to infiltrate the bad yeah. guy's lair. That's probably is, her best moment, actually. I, I think, think so too. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, how lazy is Lee Sen Chang to not even notice that his hostage has like a different hair color? <laughs> <laughs> is this reverse racism? We all look the same time because he he makes a comment at one point. Yeah, said, like, I understand that we all look the same, yeah. but that's what I mean. Like that's one of a few comments, just like the the joke on stage of one of us is yellow. Yeah, that's one of a few comments that are there to sort of underscore. No, you do realize society was massively racist, and what was happening was not okay. Says the white guy yeah. dressed as a Chinese man. Yeah, maybe we've got it all wrong. Maybe he was a white guy. Dressed as a Chinese man. <laughs> it was <laughs> no. Maybe you know. No, wait. Maybe I think you're onto something. Here. <laughs> Either in order to underscore uh, social injustice, or <laughs> because he was just massively into Wang Chiang, like the god Wang Chiang. Yeah. And maybe he felt well. Maybe this Wang Chiang guy wouldn't appreciate me if I were just a white guy. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that. Yeah, I don't think that's the case. They could they could have saved it. Someone could do an edit on this where you overdub a line where he just says in a like a proper street cockney accent, yeah, my real name's Steve like, isn't it, Governor? Yeah, neither are one of us is yellow. I can't do it. Why I just turned Australian. <laughs> <laughs> I only follow I only look like this because I was following that keezy, you know? <laughs> and then he uh, yeah. Exit stage left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway, back to Leela. Yes. Big plus point. She has clothes! One of only two stories in which she does. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. So apparently in one more story, I can't remember what it was now, she also wears clothes appropriate to the time and the context that they're in. Yeah. I can't remember if it's another pseudo-historical or if it's maybe set in the future or something, or on an alien planet. But I don't think it's the next episode or the next serial. So I think in the next serial, she's going to be back in her leather bikini. Like... She only came with one leather bikini. What does she do when she's washing it? <laughs> she wears this she gigantic Victorian dress. Yeah. <laughs> these, are, these are now her two go-to outfits. <laughs> yeah, she is, there's a laundromat in in the TARDIS. <laughs> she's there in her like frilly frilly frocks <laughs> and like giant Victorian getup, <laughs> while her, <laughs> while her leather thong gets thrown around the the tumble dryer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's there like feeding it coins. <laughs> It's just such a ridiculous premise. Like, he's so he's showing her time and space. Yeah. <laughs> like, but and but you she got, feels more can't comfortable. can't convince her to wear... But I reckon she feels more else. comfortable in that. Well, I guess that's what they're going to try and make you assume or I mean, are actually going to address it. I don't know. They're probably not going to address it. No. They, well, they did actually mention it in this. Like Doc says, what does he say? You can't go walking around Victorian Lin- London in skins. You'll frighten the horses. Yeah. <laughs> 
See, that's a Tom Bakerism. That yeah. feels like such a fourth doctorism. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, uh-huh. she then loses a lot of her clothes later on. She's oh, still, that's right. She's wearing more than she does in other places. Are you referring to the wet t-shirt competition when she's in the sewer? Well, just when she... Because we get to see full-on nips in this one. Do we? Yes. <laughs> I thought it was 100%. a little bit too convenient that she, yeah, she's shown just in her undergarments, which happen to be white, and then she's dragged through the water. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that I, I didn't pause, <laughs> but isn't that absolutely absurd that during production, because it's presented, so the thing is, it's presented in the trivia, it was addressed as she was surprised to find, or possibly like shocked to realize that, oh crap, oh wait, hang on, my clothes are going to turn a little see-through when they're wet, I didn't think about this. And also it's presented in the context of she was actually ill, like she was, she had the flu or whatever, and she was wet and cold and it did her no favors. But she was surprised to find, oh crap, you can see through my clothes. They say nothing about whether the production team was surprised about this, or like the, you know, the costume department was surprised by this. But let's say that they were no one changed this and this is a family show yeah and i i do feel like i mean i I don't i don't know but i don't i'm not entirely sure we get to see wet (laughs) t-shirts even today on the bbc i don't think you would in doctor who you certainly wouldn't in doctor who which is a family show but other other shows that air at similar times i think the other the other thing is, I'm pretty sure the first woman that we see is fully attired when she goes into the turn me into dust and slurp me up box. Uh, okay. And then when Leela goes and is doing her uh, undercover maneuver, suddenly the other woman that she's with, who is properly hypnotized, yeah. is stood in her skivvies. In the closet, you mean? No, she, they're just like stood hypnotized in the middle of the room before they're going into the closet. And it's like, yeah, oh, these these women were both fully dressed. Now one of them is just in her white undergarments. Oh, right. Leela is still fully dressed. Next scene, Leela is also in her undergarments. Wait, why is Leela in her undergarments? I don't remember this. In my head, but, I'd pieced it together as they get torn when she's fighting with the rats, but I'm... No, they, they seem to strip them down to the undergarments before putting them into the box. But I'm pretty sure they didn't with the first woman, and I'm pretty sure they don't need to. <laughs> now I'm uh, now definitely it, thinking the Now it just seems team. to be an entire setup of, well, we've we've addressed the fact that some people maybe have been complaining about the companion running around in just bra and pants. But now we also have viewers who are only there because the companion is running around in bra and pants. Yeah, I don't and know. It's a very weird scene. Well... I mean, if they deliberately strip her down ahead of her sewer scene, then I'm almost entirely convinced that the costume department and the, or the production team knew what was going to happen. They want they wanted her to be, you know, more revealing or wearing something more revealing, it, and then it making feels it wet that way. is then. Well, I mean, the the main surprise here for me before we even address this is why didn't they just reshoot that? It must be the easiest thing in the world to reshoot it, even if. Even if you don't reshoot the scene with her now suddenly wearing the full dress again, just shoot her from a slightly different angle or just like have her cover herself with her arm or something. But they don't. They kept that shot. And that's, I mean, the fact that it's in final cut seems a bit off to me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a a bit of a double-edged sword with Lila and her clothing situation. Yeah, certainly. They they definitely seem to be aware of things though. It's whether it's all positive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
otherwise, though, I think she did a marvellous job. I thought so, too. Like, obviously, this is not a slight on Lee, the character, or Louise James and the actress. This is the production of... Yes, um, oh, of course. That's you know. that's all it is, in fact. Yeah. I think she was fantastic as well. I like the, the bits where she's almost naively honest. Like the policeman who's asking, did you see what happened? And the doctor's just about to go, no, no, we didn't see anything. And she's, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were right there when the guy was murdered. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that... I think the first time she's met Lightfoot and... They're in the carriage going off to... Well, I don't, I don't think we know where, but they're going for a meal with oh, him. Oh, the pipe. And the, and the doctor... Oh, that, yeah, that was quite nice about the... Why are you making fire in your mouth? Yeah, or yeah. Whatever it was. Oh, what were you going to say? Um, the doc gets sidetracked into something else. I can't remember what it was at that time. And Lightfoot is musing that the doctor won't know where to meet them afterwards because he didn't tell him where to go. And Leela's just very kind of like, duh, stupid face. You told the driver, like, <laughs> we know where we're going. Yeah. Just... <laughs> little thing there of just well the doctor obviously knows i obviously know like why would yeah you're being a stupid numpty like we're <laughs> we're intelligent people thank you very much yeah she is very capable but she's growing on me as a as a companion it's interesting to have a companion that is that violent i suppose if you want of a better phrase yeah i mean she's like she's a little bit like wee little jamie but with more action. Jamie McCrimmon, who was uh, a Highlander plucked by the the second Doctor from the serial The Highlanders, mm-hmm. it was also completely alien to anything technological, to you know modern society. And they end up going everywhere. I mean, they travel around and across the future, and they travel into space. And like, I mean, Jamie constantly is shocked by all this stuff, and then well, it's not constantly. He is shocked by this stuff, and then gradually gets more accustomed to things being very much out of his comfort zone. Yeah. And we're seeing the exact same thing with Leela. It's just that she's such a total badass because she comes from this very violent background where she had to fend for herself that she much more readily adapts to these situations, I think. Yeah. One of my notes is, nice shot, Leela. <laughs> I think this is where she throws the the knife at Mr. Sin. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Which does bugger all, but it's a bloody good shot. Yeah, it is. I mean, it was, there was one thing that kind of like flitters around from time to time about Leela and her getting used to things and understanding things. Uh-huh. And I couldn't give you that many examples, but I have one one note written down of she starts getting excited. So this is near the start of episode four about the concept of going to the theater, like, because they're going to go see Chang's production. Oh, yeah, that's right. And I couldn't help but think, what the fuck does she know what the theater is? <laughs> or what it's going to be like, or... That is such a good Why is she getting excited about this? Yeah. Like, it, her reaction should almost be the opposite. After after not knowing what the theatre is and being told by the doctor what the theatre is, she should her reaction, you would think, is just like, but why would I go to this yeah. nonsense? To be honest, when we see the theatre, I would be having that reaction too. <laughs> <laughs> One woman on stage singing and Poorly. saying, everyone else join in. <laughs> you can have the exact same experience in a pub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, and she did not sing well. <laughs> I felt no, that. she did not. Yeah, yeah. But the magic show is pretty cool. It was kind of like I, I do have a note slightly later on in this episode of half this episode is a trip to the theater. <laughs> like <laughs> there was a lot of his magic show. There was a lot of her singing. Yeah, that's true. There's, I mean, there's way too much of his magic show. Yeah. What's weird to me is that we get to see his magic show. I mean, he levitates that woman. Yeah. Or rather, he levitates the puppet, because I don't think that's a real person. (laughs) (laughs) 
So we've already seen him do some magic tricks when the doctor arrives. And at this point, when he's about to shoot the card, you'd think... I mean, I, I'm assuming the tension is there. Is it? They're setting up the tension of, is he actually going to shoot the doctor? Because he could, and he knows that the doctor is potentially after him, right? He could just blow his alibi and his cover completely and shoot him yeah. right there. But the doctor is a badass and holds the deck of cards in front of his face <laughs> and still survives it, because magic. But then, that should be it. That should be the crescendo. Like, hey, I showed you how close I can get. Now you back off or I will go that extra mile. But then the doctor just goes on stage, walks away from the sword through cabinet trick, and Lee Sen Chang still completes the performance. <laughs> Why at that point doesn't he at the very least just think of an excuse? Curtains are drawn and then he bolts after the doctor because the doctor is now behind the scenes somewhere. But the even weirder thing is that it doesn't matter because Doc is quite happy just to come back come back and just watch the end of the show on stage. And Yeah, and wait, hang on. Why has Wang Chiang at this point put a dead body inside the cabinet? Fuck knows. To, to sabotage his own henchmen's, his right-hand man's work. Yeah, I don't know. And how did he get him in the cabinet? I forget which point. This, I think actually this is the point where Wang Chiang has basically abandoned Chang. I think Chang is gone to him and when Chang is like yeah, ah true. fuck you do what you want I'm just gonna eat up some more people and probably bugger off yeah <laughs> have a nice day good so I but keep your magical powers why don't you well yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess maybe he was actually intent- like when, when Chang was maybe intentionally sabotaging Chang just to be a git yeah I don't know I don't understand much of this <laughs> This, I think episode four is probably just a bit of a weird episode. Like, it's mostly around the theater. Wen Chiang is trying to close up his lab and escape. Kills Casey on the way. Or Casey dies of shock or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's what the doctor him in the cabinet. All the while, yeah, we're watching a, a stage show. Where it's like, <laughs> hang on, that's not the ticket I bought. I thought I was watching television. And Doc is quite happy just milling around on stage I don't, I don't know is he expecting chang to do something like why why are they both there why like you say has chang not gone fuck, um, fuck this i i'm probably in quite a lot of danger i still believe in my god even if he's trying to abandon me i should be trying to help him and why isn't doc going well this guy's distracted on stage maybe i could go investigate somewhere else i don't know it's just weird yeah i agree with you it's, it's structurally, it's unsound. So when you said part four is poor in this regard, I looked at my notes because my notes are structured by, by part and or by episode. And for part four, or looking at part four and part five, I now realize that actually Chang getting zonked off his tits is actually in part five. And that means we do get three endings. We get the two of them separating and... Wing Chiang riding off into the sunset. Oh no, the bad guy's getting away forever. To the main henchman of this one, like, the, uh, you know, Blofeld has ridden off into the sunset, but the person, whatever, his henchman of the week, like the, the main baddie of that particular episode, he has now been vanquished yeah. because a rat's eaten his leg. And then the third ending is, no, Blofeld is back and we're now gonna, you know, a, a pig brain is gonna shoot him with a laser. Yeah, I guess. I think... Maybe, is that just the aspect of these serial formats, though? They don't tend to keep a villain hanging on to the next serial. They just 
bookend each episode with mini but, endings. But imagine that this could have been the master. I reckon if this were the master, then he would actually just have disappeared in the carriage. You think they could in part four ended up earlier, wrapped it up earlier. Yeah, I reckon he. Yeah, either he it, it would would have been wrapped up earlier, or there would have been as in either it ends there, or they would have made it let's say a five episode arc, possibly even a six, but l- let's make it a five episode arc, so that after the master has left, the master's henchman who is Lee Sen Chang, he is still left and needs to be vanquished, and he is, and obviously he needs to get eaten by the rat. Yeah, I would have been very happy if this was the master, to be honest. <laughs> and yeah, me too. I miss the master. I genuinely miss the master at this I point. think it would have given some gravitas to this that it was maybe missing a little bit. I think there was there was something that was a kind of pantomime level <laughs> of, of villainy in places. But would it have know. been too obvious because the master is still very slowly regenerating. I mean, he's still this, you know, burnt husk of a man. But that's and exactly he, what this guy is. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, they clearly kept that part of the script. Yeah. So would is that just too obvious? Is that the thing? I don't know. Like I, th- I think you they would have had to change things for it to have worked a bit, yeah, maybe. bit better with the master. Yeah, but it feels like we've got master light, and yeah, that's true. We've been robbed. <laughs> I agree with you, right? I think the only other possible topic that I'm that bothered about is on the same kind of vein. Yeah, it's just how shit a bad guy he is, or rather, how well he performs as a shit bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Magnus Greel slash Wing Chang. So I have a couple of notes around episode five, but I'm sure there are some, yeah, something else crops up in episode six, and I'm sure there are other things as well. But just the general bad guy stereotype of not killing the protagonist when you have the opportunity is a big ass lightning rod all over the place. So at one point he has Lightfoot and Jago, 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 and he says, you will die later, slowly. Just so they can go off off screen. Of course. And not die in that instant. Of course. I don't think we even get de- detail of how they're going to die later slowly. It's just, uh, no, I, uh, I you just, will die. I don't want to kill you right now. It's okay. Fine. We'll, we'll kill course. you later. Yeah, I'm not in a rush. Um, he then, later on, he sneaks into Lightfoot's house. He's hiding behind a curtain with chloroform. That's right. That's to, in his house. And attacks Leela. Leela, like, yeah. This is a guy who's been using assassins to get most of his work done. This is a guy He's... who can imbue his henchmen with magic powers. Yeah. Surely he himself can just walk up to both of them, light eyeball them, and walk out with Leela. Nope. He's hiding behind a curtain with some chloroform. Chloroform. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bit shit. <laughs> and then, so in episode six, we get Leela trying to be badass and attacking him and totally failing. Yeah. And then immediately... Die, bent face. Is that what she said? I believe that's what she said. <laughs> Die, bent face. So, and then she's absolutely overwhelmed. I think I think there are multiple guards around her. Magnus has a knife, like, thrusting it towards her, and then literally stops, like, a centimeter away and changes his mind. Yeah. And it's just like... It's like, no, 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 no. no. I, I'm gonna... But he, but he plans on, rather than doing that, yeah, I think that's very economic of him. He decides, I'm not going to waste life essence... Uh, I have this machine that distills life essence from people into, I don't know what, drink. And he's not going to waste any of it. But he's going to crank it up to the painful setting. Oh, right, yeah. Because he does say that, right? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this the painful way. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, this is a guy that is, is eating people, like, in a different form. Yeah, yeah, toast. But he's eating people. Mm-hmm. 
quite happily killed loads. All this kind of shit. Has this big maniacal laughter, is very grand and... Commands an army, yeah. by the way. And comes a- comes across, I would say, as someone who probably doesn't have a nice long fuse. No, he probably lacks some self-control. <laughs> Apart from in this instant, where he can be charging with a dagger and then stop it. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Stop it and just go... No. I feel like, no, he... <laughs> You put the dagger in, then you go, ah, shit. Quick, throw in the box. Throw in the box. <laughs> oh, eat it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that the dog asks, he deliberately asks for a gun. Yeah. Which we don't get a lot. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure what to, to make of this. Like, he's, it's to kill a giant rat. Yeah. So it kind of seems like a different thing. Yeah, that's true. But the dog with a gun. Yeah, that's, that is also true. That's, I mean, that doesn't quite fit. What I'm thinking was actually, I mean, I thought back to two different episodes or two different serials. One is in Pyramids of Mars, where we get to see Sarah Jane with a gun oh, yeah. or a rifle. And I think the doctor takes it, gives it to her and goes, you are going to shoot the whatever, powder keg or... Yeah. And the second one is underneath the city of Peladon. In the Monster Peladon and whatever the other one is, there's the the creature that lives under, like, in the tunnels inside the walls. And Pertwee's third doctor just hypnotizes it with a Venusian lullaby. Yeah. Whatever it is, he says. And thus sort of sedates this monster, this creature, who otherwise is terribly vicious, even though it looks like Alf. <laughs> And this one, we actually get to see the doctor hypnotize. Like, he unhypnotizes Jago. That's true. But when it then comes to the, the parallel scene to him encountering, I can't remember what the creature was called in Peladon, but at that point, when we get to that parallel scene, instead of using, like, you know, revisiting Chekhov's hypnosis, he blasts its face off. Mm. And that seems odd to me. Very odd. Yeah. I guess... It would be hard to hypnotize the rat whilst it's eating your companion. So it was, it was good that you had the gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm glad that he did. But he could also just suddenly have gone darum, 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 and then the rat could have looked up and maybe charged at him and then slowed down as he gets closer while he's continuing his Venusian lullaby. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not that sad that there isn't a Venusian l- lullaby, I must say. <laughs> yeah, okay, no. <laughs> I'm just trying to but, find a, you know, a pacifist yeah. way out of it. No, the, the distraction thing, though, like, that's very doctory. Yes, certainly. Like, you're there doing something bad to, most of the time, someone I care about, but in general, just someone else. Yeah. No, bring it to me. I will deal with this. Like, that's that's the doctor way to deal with stuff. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Not... You, not Big gun, shooty, shooty. Yeah, exactly. You know what he didn't use at all? Which pleases me immensely. Sonic. No Sonic. Yeah, very true. Uh, just highly... No, not high. Dialing back to the, the gun. Now, I can't remember how they describe this particular gun, but what Doc actually asks for is an elephant rifle. Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure is like a blunderbuss. I was just going to say, yeah. Because it, it looks a little bit like when he fires the gun at the rat, it looks like, well, clearly there are pellets just blasting yeah. Leela to bits as well. That's kind of what I thought. And yeah. Which is probably why he kind of goes up to her a bit gingerly as Leela. Yeah. yeah. Are you okay? Like. He does look like, oh, okay, I've, I've killed her. Yeah. So, yeah, all around 
not sure about the doc with the gun, especially when he almost accidentally causes his companion with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found a couple of quotes. I didn't make a note of the soundbite, but this is from part three. This is uh, Wing Chiang. All I ask is a few contemptible slattens who will not be missed. Now to look up, what is a slattern? Oh, it's a dirty woman. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, yeah. The writing of this serial has its flaws. Let's just agree on that. (laughs) (laughs) Along the same lines, uh, we have now bring the other two hags here, also from Wing Chiang, some part six. (laughs) Terrible. And obviously, part six, soundbite, 1545. Finally, they ham-fist the name of this serial into the serial itself. There can be no escape for you. Let the talons of Wing Chiang shred your flesh! Cool, yeah, I yeah, know, I get it. <laughs> Do you want to rate this? Sure, why not? <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 Ratings. Shit balls, we actually have to review this thing, don't we? Yes, we do. And you have to start. Oh, bugger. Okay. No, it's fine. <laughs> I can start this. I'm going to put the not-so-casual racism aside, I think, in terms okay. of reviewing this. Yeah. You make a good point about there being potentially pastiches and we know that there are stereotypes left, right and centre and probably a lot of it is semi-intentional. We also know there is a shitload of racism. Yeah. But it's just of the era. Fine. Pop that aside. I did enjoy watching this. Mm-hmm. That, that was definitely there. I think there are a lot of problems with it though. I think there, for the most part, are just too many things going on, most of which aren't fully realised or fleshed out. We get some wonderful characters with like Lightfoot and to a slightly lesser extent Jago. Jago? Yeah. <laughs> Why can't I remember his name? <laughs> and they get a surprising amount of screen time actually. They get shitloads of dialogue. They really do, yeah. And they're entertaining. You start some of the scenes I start kind of like forgetting that I'm watching Doctor Who. But it's just like, it's the Jago and Lightfoot show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which it almost <laughs> nearly was by the sounds of it. Yeah. But it's it's entertaining still. Now you've mentioned the thing that this was meant to be the master originally. I can see it left, right and center. And it, it actually feels worse for it, knowing that, I think. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you ruined it. I didn't mean to. I apologize. <laughs> no. But I, I think it, it maybe it's just solidified a couple of things of like why I felt like I was being cheated. Like I felt like this wasn't a good enough villain in a lot of respects. Okay. I actually, I love the actor playing him. I think his voice work is incredible. And, and that laugh, that laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I don't know, it's just not, it's not grand enough. And Chang probably makes a better villain than... Greel does in a lot of respects. It's nice that he he gets a bit of humanity and questioning of what he's been doing. I don't take it as a full redemption or even a actually kind of feeling sorry about stuff. But it's still nice to have that kind of that kind of bookend of his of his experience. And we don't get any of that kind of thing with Greel. Greel's just for the most part just a kind of stereotype bad guy villain who does the usual stereotype bad guy fuck-ups of not killing people and i've mentioned all that already but it doesn't matter there are some weird things like doc sets up this elaborate trap with a gas system which most times i've read about gas explosions oh yeah they're big fucking deals so like take down buildings and he sets this off and all the henchmen just kind of fall over and cough and cough yeah Yeah. and i don't know there's just lots of weird shit there's just lots of weird shit of like how did that get in there who thought 
that giant rat was scary. It's the fluffiest thing ever. I loved the rat. (laughs) (laughs) Who thought about the line of Lightfoot and um, Jago? They must have been watching the theatre, says Greel. That means they've got my bag. (laughs) It's like, does it? So they had a slight inkling that you were a bad guy in the theatre and they followed you here. That means they, they went all around the theatre and found your bag and they they know exactly where it is. And I don't know, it's just a few few things in a few different places, just the dots don't connect. And I was left kind of questioning and not enjoying everything as much as I should have done. Okay. Which, sadly, I think I can say about the Doctor as well. I think oh, there, no. were just, there were just a few too many moments where it just didn't feel like Tom Baker having his Tom Baker Doctor fun. He definitely has it. In multiple occasions, but it's just, it's not consistently through, through that. I think Leela is possibly more consistent. Like they, they know what they want to do with Leela and she's playing that throughout the entire serial and it works. I think I enjoyed watching Leela more possibly than the doctor. I think part of that is unfortunately the racist aspect. Like mm. he doesn't question, you're right. Like he should be blind to all of this, but he should also be pointing it out when it happens and not letting it slide and not certainly not joining in on it. Like that's that's not a product. Well, it shouldn't be a product of 1977. That should have been something from 1977 addressing bad things that happened in the 19th century. I agree. I, I'm sorry. I'm jumping in. There's a particular line from a different serial, which I think we reviewed with Pertwee, where he comments on the line "England for the English." Ah, uh, yes. Is it dinosaur? It might be the dinosaur one. Could well be. That's diametrically opposed to this one. Yeah. And that's the same Doctor. I mean, it's, okay, it's Pertwee Doctor, but it's the same character. Exactly. You know, Sorry. I can, I can put the general racism aside, but I think there are little snippets that you, you still have to kind of look at and say, no, but this is still the Doctor in yeah. this situation. The Doctor shouldn't be letting these things go without comment or, I don't know, addressing it somehow. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to give it above average, definitely. I've written I, down what I think you're doing. Because I enjoyed it. Okay. But I've taken off quite a bit because it's a bit of a mess. Okay. And I don't think everything they wanted to do got it pulled off. I can kind of see why people love it. Mm-hmm. I don't think I love it as much. So it's a 3.6 from me. <gasps> okay. All right. Cool. I had 3.0 for you. Oh. I, th- I thought you were going to go lower. Okay. 3.6. I like it. Very good. Uh, right. I agree with uh, most of what you've just said. In general, I'm going to say I, I really loved this serial. I thought it was great. I loved the Sherlock Holmes aspect of it, but okay, I'll get to that. Doctor, I felt that he was on top form with the exception of the dreadful racism. (laughs) He got to be clever. He got to apply some science. He had some action scenes that felt uh, like, oh yeah, that's those things that I used to say before were Pertwee. And then you corrected me and said, actually, no, they seem to be kind of Tom Bakery, but we haven't had them in a while. Yeah. I mean, he was flipping henchmen around. He was like judoing henchmen. Including actual dummies. (laughs) Including actual dummies. Yeah. Yeah. He picks up the, the... Absolutely not a real person, <laughs> Mr. Sin, and throws him down. So, nice one, Doc. Leela, we already talked about Leela as well. Excellent. I think she's only getting better. Then we have Lightfoot and Jago, or as I refer to them in my notes, Gordon Lightfoot. <laughs> Rick of the Edmund Fitzgerald. They were fantastic. It's such a shame that we didn't get the spin-off TV show. I would have loved to have seen that. And I will now 100% seek out the audiobooks. Mm. I desperately want to hear them. It'll be great fun. Actually, on the subject of audiobooks, 
Quick trivia point, there is an audio story called The Butcher of Brisbane, which is both a prequel and a sequel to this story. Oh. Yeah. There's also a comic book called The Time Machination, or Machination, also a prequel slash sequel. Is this to do with... So, sorry, just sideline you again. So the original outline, this Robert Banks Stewart's story, yeah, apparently was adapted into an audiobook. Is that part of it? Oh, maybe, maybe that is it. Yeah, Butcher of Brisbane. I mean, they refer to Greel as the Butcher of Brisbane. He is the Minister of Justice and the Butcher of Brisbane, says Tom Baker. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I assume this shows his turn from Minister of Justice to full-on war criminal. Curious about that as well. Uh, but yeah, Gordon Lightfoot, top-notch. The bad guys? Hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lee Sun Chang, excellent. Just like you, I'm disregarding. I'm, I'm, I'm setting aside the fact for the time being. I'm setting what aside the fact. What white guy in in Chinese face? Yeah, <laughs> I'll get to that in just a second. But uh, I mean, I thought he was excellent, Mister Sin, as a little, as sort of the odd job. If I'm, if I'm permitted another James Bond reference, Mister Sin is like the odd job here, right? He's, he doesn't speak, but he's mega violent and quite efficient. <laughs> Loved him as well. Greel, however, makes no sense to me. Actually, you're absolutely right. He would make sense as the master. But because he's not the master, all these other things that haven't been set up, because the master has been set we know what the master's capable of doing. But because he is not the master, I'm missing things like, wait, so he can he can give his henchmen magical powers, but we never get to see him actually wield any magical powers. No. He's apparently super weak, but we get to see him freaking Jean-Claude Van Damme all over the place with the Doctor. We get that massive action set piece when the Doctor's hanging from the rafters. Like, yeah, this isn't actually... Those two things are right next to each other. Like, he's he's walking away from an incident, like, in pain and struggling. Yeah. And then he's swinging from the rafters. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It makes absolutely no sense. He just sort of confuses me in that regard. But fine. Okay. We've talked about him as well. The pastiches, I really only recognized The Phantom of the Opera and Sherlock Holmes. I don't know Fu Manchu at all, but I loved it. I love the Sherlock Holmes bits in particular. So all that amounts to a very good rating. But as you said, it doesn't make sense in many points. Well, mm. at many points. And then I am actually kind of incapable of completely overlooking the racism. So I have to deduct a, a few more decimals for that. So I'm giving this a 4.0. Oh, I had 4.1. Ah, Very close. Ah, excellent. Nice. Right, Arunian cheesecakes. Shall we jump into the listening mini section? Let's do that one. Heads up, Podcast Land. There are a lot of them. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Bing bong. <laughs> it is midnight, and we have no fewer than 11 minis for this one. Thank you so much, everyone in podcast land. Thank you, everyone who sent one in. Let's get right into it. I'm going to speed through these a little bit, starting with Paul Forber. Hello, Paul. Hello, Paul. Paul, really sorry, but we're going to expurgate your mini a little bit. We're going to jump straight to the end, which is the review itself. Uh, but please, everyone in Podcast Land, go to whobackone.com and read it in its full splendor, because the bit that has been expurgated is a magnificent synopsis of this serial. So, Paul Forber concludes, like Saks Aroma's Fu Manchu novels, the fact Chang was played by English actor John Bennett, has earned this serial a racist label, though in London there were few Asian actors in the 1970s for the BBC to cast. Despite modern perceptions, this story is an intriguing period mystery involving time travel and future science to make it worthy 
of Doctor Who. Interesting. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Well, you can let Paul Forber know. He can be found at Wordsmith Paul. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you, Paul. Next up, we've got... Christophs Paddock. Hello, Christophs. Hey there, Christophs. This episode, guys, is the single best episode of Classic Who. <laughs> At least since the last time I called something the single best episode of Classic Who. Seriously, though, <laughs> this is brilliant. The Jago and Lightfoot double act is fantastic. The sets, especially the climactic set, are gorgeous. And the Doctor Sherlock Holmes will never get old. Agreed. This gets a solid five point... No, 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 it doesn't. <laughs> the racism issues here are so heinous that it makes the serial difficult to watch at points. It's the yellow face makeup, the accents, the Chinese laundry, the opium smoking, the pigtails, Lee Seng being called a celestial, and countless other minor and major problems. Maybe, maybe you could argue that this is playing on the much more racist attitudes of an earlier era. But the racism isn't parody or a tool for moral instruction. It's just casual 1970s racism. If you divorce this from the problematic racism, it's suddenly in the upper fours. Mm. But it gets a big fat goose egg for sensitivity. And I give it a 2.0. I'm so sorry. We completely understand Chris Dabbs. We do. We do. <laughs> and, and that was very well put. It really was. Summed up the racism in a nice <laughs> little nugget of a paragraph. <laughs> right, so next up we've got Peter Zunich. It's the Zunmeister. Hello, Peter. Hello, Peter. Peter says The most difficult part of reviewing this story is deciding which element is most responsible for its success. Writing to lighting. There's just too many elements that are nothing short of superb. A retro rewrite here. Only that Jago and Lightfoot meet so late in the production. They are wonderful together. It's no surprise they got their own big Finnish audio line. Chang, similarly, steals every scene he's in. This guy needs no special powers to be mesmerizing. Greel trends a bit too wimpy wumpus at times, to the extent that it subtracts from his intimidation factor. Yet in the weakened state, I guess I'd mope too. And let's not forget Deep Roy, who even this early in his career manages to emote like no other and instill great fear, all while confined to a mask and minimal dialogue. Speaking of dialogue... It's flawless. Tom Baker's performance is dead-on enthralling and enhances the simplest scenes with extreme nuance and subtlety. Likewise, Leela's charm continues to grow with a mix of wonder, humility and childlike interpretive misunderstanding. The second half's studio-bound location dips slightly to the authenticity of the first half, but it's still lovely. In the end, though, it's got to be the directing that makes Talons such an icon. Everything comes together so perfectly. Its obvious cast and crew felt inspired when making this. They gave it their best, and it shows. This story has no puppet rats in its sewer, and thus it earns a surprise in your laundry basket. 4.8. (laughs) Excellent. That's a surprise we all want in our laundry basket. Oh, well. <laughs> Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you so much. <laughs> I love it when we get one of these and it's just all over the place in terms of racing. <laughs> it's excellent. Okay, next up. Next up, we've got Nick Davies. A.K.A. The Doctor. Hello, Nick. <laughs> Hi there, Nick. Last week, Agatha Christie. This week, Conan Doyle. <laughs> Besides the racism, which I'm sure you'll cover. Oh, we did. Mm-hmm. Chang is played by John David Bennett, by the way. 
I think this is an iconic serial evocative of peak Baker times. For me, this run of serials from season 12 to 14 is basically peak classic, or actually peak who overall. Oh, bold statement. It captures the atmosphere of the Victorian era, as I remember it. (laughs) He is the Doctor. It seems like there were lots of locations, mainly dark ones, which really added to the suspense. At times, it was so dark, I thought there was a problem with my monitor. Your man Chang comes across as very sinister, but then switches to being a downtrodden fool who gets constant grief from Grill after around episode two. After this, the doc piles on the misery by ridiculing him in the show, and finally, he gets killed. Poor guy. He then survives and becomes a junkie. Excellent. <laughs> At this point, Grill becomes more interesting. It would be great to see more of him. I think there are audios. Jago and Lightfoot were great. They're in books, and I think there is a spin off series. Correct. There was, oh, yes. there was good interplay between Jago and Doc, particularly, and Lena and Doc's chemistry is getting better and better. The plot itself? Okay. <laughs> I thought the time cabinet was the TARDIS for some of the time, but it gets explained well towards the end, and actually the pacing and action scenes make this a fully enjoyable watch. 4.2 from me. Oh, wow. Nice one. Another higher rating. Thank mm. you very much, Nick. Thank you, Nick. Next up, it's Michael... Ridgeway, Ridgeway. Hello, Michael. Hey there, Michael. Love you, Michael. Things I liked, says Michael. And I rattled these off. The giant rat. Leela's in need of some hardcore anti-plague shots. Sherlock Holmes, Doctor. Atmospheric, smoggy Victorian streets. The dribbling hag who finds the body. <laughs> Leela and Lightfoot eating supper. Oh, yes. And murderous Mr. Sin. And Mr. then he... Sin. <laughs> Mr. Sin. <laughs> we may have listened to that one <laughs> just a moment ago. Uh, Michael then adds some beefs. First beef. Oh dear, oh dear. There's a good article by Kate Orman on Talons in a book called Doctor Who and Race from, 19, uh, from 2013, which savages this story's racial stereotypes. The Doctor's failings to challenge the casual racism of supporting characters and making derogatory remarks himself feels as uncomfortable as the awful production decision. Derogatory depictions of the Chinese community as a criminal underclass haven't improved much over the years. Chinese triads in the Doctor Who TV movie shoot the seventh Doctor (laughs) to death. In summary, says Michael, this was a childhood favourite and it has some wonderful moments. But I'd have to hold my nose to racism to like it now, and I'm afraid I cannot. And he gives this a rating of zero out of five excuses. What were you thinking? Wow. Holy moly. Taking a bold stance there, Michael Ridgway. Thank you so much, Michael. Please give this man a standing ovation on Twitter. He can be found at bad underscore movies underscore club. No more underscores. <laughs> no more excuses either. <laughs> Next up, I believe it's time for one of these. New Hello, Damon. Hi, Damon. Welcome aboard. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Nice to be traveling down this temporal road with you. Damon says, this is one of my favorite stories. I know that it's not racially sensitive today, but feel that I am always defending its faults. It is a symptom of its own time. And let's face it, Hollywood is still whitewashing most films, so it's not gone away. Right, this is getting interesting. It's a floater, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, this really tickled me, Damon. What's not to love? Mr. Sin, Jago, and Lightfoot. Love their big Finnish audio series. Leela's dining habits. (laughs) 
It's got great sets and locations, good pacing, a giant rat that looks like something Blue Peter made. Hey, I love that rat. And a laser shooting dragon. <laughs> the really bad thing is the casting of Lee Chang, who would be a Chinese actor today. Correct. And the rating that Damon gives this is 4.2 homes out of 5. Bracket should look at that. Ah. Maybe add a Robert Holmes there as well. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much, Damon. I love this, by the way. We have gone from like four point, whatever, 4.2 to 0 to 4.2. <laughs> this is fantastic. Thank you very much, Damon, and welcome again. Welcome. Thank you, Damon. Next up, we've got Trenton Blaze. Hey there, Trenton. Hey there, indeed. Trenton says, with a Robert Holmes script, you always expect dazzling dialogue and free plundering from literature's back catalogue. <laughs> then the talons of Wang Chiang, you get them with a vengeance. The obvious biggest influence is Sherlock Holmes. I mean, the Doctor is in full Sherlock garb. Other influences here include Pygmalion. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, Jack the Ripper the Fu Manchu novels, and even the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. It's a frenzy of Holmesian Victorian gothic. There are no better secondary characters in all of Who than Jago and Lightfoot. Their dialogues sublime, witty, and literate, with each character having his own distinctive speech pattern. Jago's dialogue in particular, reflecting as it does the pattern of the music hall, is a complete triumph. Very well observed, Trenton. And Mm. Trevor Baxter and Christopher Benjamin's performances wring every ounce of gorgeousness from the script. Chang is a fantastic character, played by John Bennett with total authority. As a villain, he leaves Magnus Greel in the dust. He is genuinely menacing, he is believably slimy, and he invests the opium scenes with real pathos. And what a makeup job. Stunning stuff. Oh, interesting. This is a very interesting take. <laughs> very interesting take on it. I will say that Mr. Ranty, I mean Magnus Greel, was a bit of a letdown. He's just so shouty and it really detracts from his menace. Yeah, agreed. It doesn't have the all-round glossy perfection of the robots of death. The villain's too crap and there are too many plot holes for that. But for the sheer enjoyability of most of the characters, the stunning atmosphere, and the superbness of the dialogue, you just can't touch it. And Trenton gives this a very good rating, namely 4.0 out of 5. Uh. Nailed it, Trenton. Excellent. Thank you so much. People who are not Trenton, you can follow Trenton uh, on uh, the interwebs. Trenton can be found at Trenton Bless. That's Bless with two what's, Jim? Uh, they're S's. They're S's. <laughs> That's aren't what they? I are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two sides. Sorry, I caught you off guard there. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again, Trenton. Thank you, Trenton. Next up, we have Daniel Green, aka Doctor in Waiting. Hello, Daniel. Hey, Daniel. The Talons of Wen Chiang, or Talons of Wen Change, as Autocorrect seems want to do. (laughs) A fan favorite. Consistently voted as one of the best Doctor Who stories ever in any poll you care to read. Setting aside the piss-poor giant rat... Hey, I love that rat! (laughs) (laughs) Shame on you, BBC Costume Department, for being talked into that fuss. And the egregious yellow face, Mr. Chang. This is a great adventure for the Doctor. The Doctor and his assistant assistant often assume the unspoken roles of Sherlock Holmes and Watson. The Doctor has a firm grip on the situation, has all the facts, whilst the companion is given the role of asking the Doctor to explain it all. Tom Baker's portrayal of the Doctor is more fitting to the Sherlock Holmes role than any other. The story is fast-paced and has a plethora of great sporting actors, especially Lightfoot and Jago, whose dialogue is a joy to watch. The lighting is spot-on with everything grim and dark, adding drama to every scene. Something that the 
Seventh Doctor's production team would seem to forget. The villain Magnus Greel has a very interesting, if brief, backstory. While Mr. Sin is a truly creepy little fellow, if only his mask had been blended into the actor's eyes, rather than clearly sitting on top, as shown by several close-up shots throughout the serial. A minor disappointment is the blandness of the key to the time cabinet, which looks as if it were an afterthought. Mm. As if, in urgent need of a prop, they removed a coaster from under the director's chair. <laughs> also, not so sure showing opiate use by Chang on a children's program. Hmm. Yeah, maybe swap that for another wet t-shirt competition. <laughs> <laughs> hey ho, a great story and a true classic. Oh, yeah. Says Daniel, and he gives this a 4.6 cute co- rat costumes out of 5. Excellent stuff. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you. Daniel, I do feel like I need to add here because I hadn't read your <laughs> your email until, well, tonight. But Daniel has very kindly offered to send us some Christmas bonus episode beverages. Mm. So, uh, yeah. Daniel, if you're listening to this, I hope you are. That's very kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> Right, next up we have Jim the Fish. Jim. Jim. (laughs) Hello, long time no see, Jim. Mm. Yeah, been a while. Jim starts off, Talons was the final story of the first golden age of Doctor Who and the last story featuring Philip Hinchcliffe as producer. Never mind the fact that Marco Polo, the abominable snowman, also have yellow face, this story is the only one to be racist because of it. I don't see the point in trying to compare something that happened 40 years ago with more modern sensibilities. None of the yellow face or related issues are there to mock or parody the Chinese. It is an attempt to tell a dramatic story with the resources they had to hand, like lack of experienced Chinese actors in the way they knew how. I suppose you could point to lines from the police about the Chinese in the story, but I'd be dumbfounded if they weren't in keeping with the prevailing attitudes of the late 19th century, and especially among the London police, dealing with criminals every day. In other words, the attitude and the lines are faithful to what they represent. Even then, Lee Sen Chang actually uses the racist attitudes to his advantage. That is true, by the way, but I don't feel that it excuses the doctor. No. Mm. And it doesn't mean that it's not open to challenge. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jim continues, I am fearful of a world where, if a drama is written about a period where distasteful things happened, that it gets sanitized so people can feel good about it in the present and not have to write blog posts about it, even though it presents a completely wrong and skewed version of what actually happened in that period. Stephen Moffat, take note. Overall, it's a great period thriller, says Jim the Fish, and he gives this... 4.2 out of 5. Thank you so much, Jim. Thank you, Jim. Next up, we have... I believe it's time for one of these. New reviewer. Oh my goodness, not another one. (laughs) Yes, another new reviewer. This time... Say hello to Kirsten Doherty. Or possibly Doherty. Or Doherty. <laughs> I don't know how you say that surname. Nor I. I apologize if I just mispronounced it, Kirsten. Please we- write in and correct us. Yes. Correct one of us. I, I want it to be Doherty. <laughs> <laughs> welcome aboard, nonetheless. Yes, welcome aboard indeed. Am I reading this one? I'm reading this one. Go for it. it. Take yeah. it away. The talents of Wen Chiang is just brilliant. <laughs> That's a start. Come on. All right. Tell us what you really think. (laughs) So here are my pros and cons of this story, says Kristen. (laughs) Okay. Just a few pros if there are so many. Peking homunculus. (laughs) Come on now. 
Did Robert Holmes just try to make up words that no one but Tom Baker could pronounce? <laughs> Something about the words peaking humunculus and the way Tom Baker says them is just hysterical. The doctor speaking Chinese. Oh, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's such a good point. The doctor acting and dressing as Sherlock Holmes. Mm-mm. Lightfoot and Django. Jago. <laughs> Why do I always want to say Jago? <laughs> Lightfoot and Jago. <laughs> and some great lines from a doctor. Were you trying to attract my attention? After a dude threw an axe at him. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and from a doctor talking about Leela. Savage. Found floating down the Amazon in a hat box. And Leela. Now put our prisoner to the torture. But does have some cons. The obvious one. A white man playing a Chinese man. I get it was 1977 and the BBC apparently didn't have many Chinese actors in their actors union. But... Yeah. <laughs> the chick singing Daisy Bell. Oh, God. Sorry, but it was always hit the mute button when she appears on the screen. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. Leela's clothes. Didn't the Doctor have a more attractive outfit for a female in the Victorian times in the TARDIS? I understand they wanted her in pants so something could jump from the table out of the window. But, ugh. <laughs> and there are also some horrible lines from Chang. I understand we all look the same. Even Tom Baker has a, what the fuck did you just say? Look after Chang said that. And another Chang line, the bird has flown, one of us is yellow. Okay, I get the bird has flown part as the doctor fought out of the magic show. But what does the one of us is yellow line have to do with anything? Well, Kirsten, I took the yellow reference to be a play on the color of his skin in a racist way and being a yellow belly, i.e. being a chicken. Yes, exactly. I don't know if that's what you were missing. Hope that helps. (laughs) (laughs) And I hope I wasn't a patronizing bastard. (laughs) Kirsten, thank you so much for writing in. Super duper happy to be traveling down the temporal road with you. I am very, very excited. Welcome aboard. Welcome on board indeed. Next up, last up, it's Paul Waring. Hello there, Paul. Hello there, Paul. Paul says, The Talons of Weng Chiang is another great story, though sadly the last of the Hinchcliffe Holmes era. I love the Lightfoot and Jago double act. Their escapades add a touch of comedy to what is otherwise a dark and horrific story by Classic Who standards. Leela's temporary outfit also looks great, and it's a shame they didn't keep it for future stories. The giant rat is cringeworthy. Hey, I love that rat. (laughs) But if you get too hung up on poor effects, you won't enjoy much of Classic Who. I don't think anyone could have done a better job given the limited budgets they had to work with. The only thing that really lets this story down are the xenophobic references to Chinese characters and culture. It's particularly disappointing when the remarks come from the Doctor, who is usually positive towards all races, and makes a strong contrast to stories such as Claws of Axos, where he picks people up for making comments such as England for the English. Uh, Bingo bongo. There he goes. So not the dinosaur one. For this reason, I wouldn't show it to someone new to who. That's a good observation. Overall, says Paul, this is a great story, and were it not for the treatment of Chinese characters, it would probably get full marks from me. As it is, it still gets a respectable 4.5 out of 5. Hey, very nice. Very nice. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much, Paul. People who are not Paul, say hello to Paul. He can be found at P. Waring. Spelled exactly as you think. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Paul. If you've listened to our recent blooper reel, then you'll see that we really tried. (laughs) We we have already tried to figure out a fun jingle for you. Uh, We will. We haven't given up yet. We will. Thank you so much, Paul. 
That's it for listener minis. Eleven. Thank you so much, everyone who sent one in. Yeah. I do feel uh, like uh, plugging something else, though, uh, along the same lines. Please head on over to whobackwhen.com. There is a new article on the Who Back When blog by Richard Tarrant. Hello, Rich. About talents of Wayne Chiang and racism in Doctor Who. And it is a super Ooh. interesting read. So as a companion piece, if you will, to this uh, episode, head on over. If you haven't already, head on over and read it. And then give Rich a, a high five. Tell him hi from us. What do we have next? Next up, we have a new Who episode in the form of The Time of the Doctor. The very last Matt Smith episode ever. Ever. Very exciting stuff. So please tune in for that. After that, we're back with Classic, and it'll be Horror of Fang Rock. Which will be the start of a new series. Correct, Amundo. Actually, yeah. We're We're now at the end of both Classic and new series. Very cool. All seasons. Okie dokie. In the meantime, you can say hello to us. Uh, you are on Twitter, I believe. I am. I'm at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what now, sorry? No, Jimmy the Who. That's right. And I am at Ponkin. You know how to spell that. If you don't, that's okay. I'll like you anyway. Uh, right. Nice. <laughs> hey. Thank you so much for listening. You've been a lovely, lovely audience. Until the next time, rock on, be rad and excellent to each other, and cha-chao. See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hooray! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome! High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it, we're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when?